Hey gang, Josh here. Welcome to a new installment of My Political Journey. This is a segment where we sit down with young people and ask about their experience of getting into politics online. This time I'm joined by Vil, who I've followed and messaged with for a number of years. In 2017, he was a prolific essayist on Instagram. Later on, he ran a Discord server in which many ironic meme posters were politicized in a much more serious way. When I talked to Vil or Cipayo or Ian, who was interviewed in episode two, it makes me once again hopeful that some of these radical ideas may soon be possible. Post-election, the sober analysis from young people has seemed much more in touch with reality than the liberal celebrations over a, quote, return to normalcy. Vil was a core member of Politogram and is still featured in some of the memes today. While researching for the book, I first interviewed him in the summer of 2019. This time we're chatting shortly after the US elections, so the impact and our reactions are still fresh. Like many people his age, Vil's journey begins with the viral surge of online politics in early 2016. While this research project is only a small sample size, there seems to be a clear age bracket within which this political content circulates and latches on. We talk a bit about Vil's media consumption and how his social circle deals with the perpetual news cycle. Unlike many people a few years older, they don't seem too emotionally invested in the drama of today's headlines. In the macroscope of the various looming crises in the near future, daily spats between Democrats and Republicans feel relatively small. I can't help but think that this zoomed out approach is a good way to engage with politics in today's attention economy. Ville asserts the need for class primacy in our analysis of society, and I think there may be some real utility to this phrase. One of the things we've spoken about a lot on this channel is the need for the left to get beyond the culture war and to reassert a base level material analysis. If we want to win back the terrain that neoliberalism has taken, we need to get out of the academy and back to the organization. I see a similar kind of thinking in Ville's ideas, but exponentially increased, with greater urgency and higher stakes. I'll be quick here in the intro because we do a lot of back and forth in the interview, but I'd like to close out with a passage that Ville selected from the ICC, and I'm paraphrasing here to condense the text. Ideological distortions have obscured Marxism in the 20th century. All sorts of academic Marxologists, modernizers, and philosophers have occupied the limelight. It is necessary to begin with a definition of what Marxism actually is, the theoretical expression of the real movement of the proletariat. This is My Political Journey with Vil. Seventeen Bay Area. And what social media platforms do you use? I used to use Instagram a lot more than I should have. I had an account on there that had amassed like a couple thousand followers and stuff, which isn't super mind blowing, but that was like a, a good amount for that little community there. I guess you can call it Politogram or something like that. I did Twitter for a bit. I don't really use Instagram or, or Twitter for those purposes anymore. I used to use Discord a lot as well. Uh, 
not so much anymore. I've kind of retreated from from all of it. What social media platforms are you on now? Do you have a main platform or are you taking a step back for a bit? I still use Instagram, but it's mostly for pretty much solely personal reasons. Like I have a I have a personal and then I have an account which closer friends can follow. And that's about it. I don't even have, uh, I'm not logged into my other accounts. Yeah, I've noticed a similar trend among other people who started off in this space, got heavily into politics, and then really kept with it, got out of the irony and the jokes and the memes, and are just actually interested in the big questions. Let's maybe table that for the time being. For now, let's just stick with some quick survey info to give people an orientation. How would you describe your politics or ideology? Well, and I'm sure probably people have said this to you before, but I'd hesitate to use the word ideology. Ideology is ideology. It's a, a part of the thought which is repurposed or spread by the ruling class to confuse and to misinform. It's something which is a tool definitely to make people unaware or unconscious. I can tell you a couple of the things that I believe. Maybe that would be better than, than saying a word. In order to understand the way in which society operates, you need to view, you need to view how class operates. So there's a, there's a necessity for class primacy or the primary nature of class in, in your view of society. If you don't have a view of class, then it's impossible to view how things move about within a society, what causes things to, to happen. People sometimes, often leftists, have a tendency to talk about systems of racism or of imperialism or of many of these different isms without even talking about the things which drives those processes, what, which is the, what is the original thing which causes other things to happen. So without talking too much about all these other isms, you have to have first an understanding of how class operates within society. So that's number one. The second thing is that the, the economic system which drives society internationally, regardless of how it presents itself today, is capitalism. There are many different types of people who will, will try to convince you otherwise that today uh, for for all the millions of different reasons, there are some countries which are capitalist because they are democracy and because they have uh, what they would call free markets. And the, there are other countries who have uh, restricted markets. For that reason, they aren't capitalist. Or there are countries who have uh, an authoritarian form of government. And therefore, it isn't capitalism either. So there's there's many different reasons or many different things that, that people will tell you in order to try to convince you that today there isn't one dominating mode of production or one dominating economic system, but that's totally untrue. If you look at the root of what orders everything else in society to happen at this point in this year, then it would have to be understood that it would be capitalism and the drive for capital accumulation. When did you first learn about or start visiting online political communities? Probably, I would say, (laughs) like the end of eighth grade. That would have been, I think, mid to early 2016. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. That's about the, the Overton explosion starts to happen then. Yeah. Yeah. If you're 17 now, that would place be us like at 13 or so. 13. 13. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it sounds kind of funny, but actually in the last few years, I've been doing some deep research into the origins of these socialist movements across the world, really. And It seems silly now to say that, oh, 13-year-olds are getting interested in big political questions. But you look at all of these radical groups from 100 years ago, 
and a lot of the party founders are 13 years old. We actually, uh, the past few decades, yeah. yeah, the past few decades in the US have been the anomaly. Like actually people were politicized very early in life. Yeah, so it's maybe it's a good thing that we're returning to that. What platforms and communities did you start on? It was Reddit, Reddit, and then Discord. I started first in like seventh grade, but I didn't get too deep into it. It was mostly like I had this fascination with these like pseudo intellectual right wing conservative pundits, like Milo Yiannopoulos and Ben Shapiro and people like that, which is you know very epic of my age. And also it was, it was, it, it, I mean, it made sense. It was like mid 2016 and I was in middle school, but what happened was I kind of went down a, a rabbit hole. I don't know. I just spent a lot of time on the internet at that age. So I went down a rabbit hole and I got very consumed into where I, I was focusing a lot of my attention into these like weird right wing ideas that I was researching on the internet through Reddit and things like that. So yeah, Reddit and Discord were are evil, I would say. <laughs> That's yeah. Yeah. And the following question here, which you've hinted at, I think, in our conversation so far, how have your views changed since you started participating in these spaces? Well, I, I think like the majority of people that were participating in these spaces, they weren't really doing any of the work. So most of my development happened when I met a solid group of a couple of people and we just started talking about things. And like we were good friends. But at the same time, we were able to have discussions about class and other things that I had not really understood, even though I had called myself, you know, whatever, for a couple of years. What year do you first get on Instagram? Probably like the start of 2017. Who are your biggest influences? Writers, theorists, thinkers, etc.? Maybe a year or two ago, I could have answered this pretty quickly. I would just say that the my my kind of inspiration as a whole is this entire line of of continuation, starting from if you want to to say Marx and Engels or or the utopians that followed, but definitely Marx and Engels, and then the internationals which followed after the degeneration of the third international, which is a whole different discussion topic. Uh, there was an effort by other communists who did not experience revolutions in their country for the most part, or or successful revolutions in their country. Um, there was an effort to try to save this project from from total collapse, from under itself, where even Lenin said close to his death that, that this revolution in Russia had become rudderless. There's nothing that's propelling it anymore, uh, rather than just the existence of the state. So if, if you want to talk about just this, like, this inspiration, it's definitely just this idea of a, of a continuation rather than just a specific writer. I think that's an important evolution in the thinking of young people, specifically as you get into these ideas, that there's a tendency at the early stages to take, let's say, for example, Gilles Dove as the ultimate doctrine of how to achieve communism now or, or something like that. And people kind yeah. of, but um, it really is a kind of living, breathing type of a thing that... Uh, a project. Yeah. The, and it's funny you said Dove, because when I was kind of getting into it, I was hearing a lot of people say the the name Dove. So of course I, I like I picked up a, a book and I was reading um, who was I reading? I was reading uh, Eclipse and Reemergence of the Communist Movement. One of the first themes, one of the first major themes that he discusses is the idea that the whole party form is decrepit and anachronistic, 
and all, all of these other things. And me not knowing anything else about anything that was related to, you know, left communism or something like that. Me thinking that somebody like Jill Dove would have any relation to it in the first place. And then reading this, it was very, um, it was very misleading to say the least. And I was, I was misled for like at least a good couple months hearing what I, uh, what I'd heard from people who had read Dave and then they just like, they post about it on the internet and I was completely just like, just consuming everything from the internet and not, not from anywhere else. So it was, um, my recommendation to people is just don't get too caught up in internet meta narratives and things like that, that really lead you nowhere because a lot of people on the internet just take politics as a hobby. It really is just a hobby for most people, but yeah, don't get, don't get caught up in it. Piecing together a loose narrative arc here, tell me if this sounds correct, but I think you, like many people your age, first get introduced to these online right-wing influencers through YouTube and Twitter, and they're kind of all over social media, and they really permeate these Gen Z political spaces. Um, mm -hmm. This sets you off on a path of political exploration, which takes place mostly on Reddit and Discord at the time, and you find yourself on Instagram in 2017. I guess as long as I followed your political posting, you had always been a Marxist. Did you ever have a period where you maybe identified as something else? I was like vaguely really right wing in like mid 2016. But by by the time I went to high school, I'd kind of grown out of it. Like, like a lot of people should, like a lot of people should <laughs> at a very early age and have not for some reason, but it's okay. And then it took a couple more years for me to, I don't know, just stop being as as cringe as I was. I actually, I don't think I, I had any other specific label. I've pretty much been a Marxist for as long as I've been politicized. Yeah, when I think of the right-wing 13 and 14-year-olds, it's not a real political conviction. It's just like they're being ridden by a bunch of bad memes that they've seen and they're repeating like meme phrases and shit. <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. 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 Maybe for a little bit of context, I should mention, we are chatting now the day after the election. And I think this question of media influence is very heavy on everyone's mind. For me, the mainstream seems less trustworthy than ever. But recently, alt media seems to have been sidelined due to deplatforming and the virus panic and everything. There's a real return to the expert that's happening in the media landscape right now. But my mm -hmm. feeling is that for the younger demographic, the so-called alt-media is just as active as ever. And I wanted to ask you a few questions about your media consumption now and maybe in the past. So feel free to respond about you specifically or maybe general observations from people you see online or your friend group is fine as well. Uh, sure. Do you spend any time on YouTube now and what content producers might you like? Most of my... YouTube consumption specifically has to relate to music production content and like synthesizers and things like that, which is like not at all related to, <laughs> to anything else. Not, I don't, I don't watch news on YouTube. I don't, I don't really watch news reports on YouTube. Whenever I get new information about things that happen in the world, it's usually through like, I don't, I don't check my Twitter, but I get Twitter notifications and things like that. I read various online magazines, whether or not they're considered like experts or, or if it's the, you know, Washington Post or whatever, it, it just, I'm trying to grab some semblance of, of what's going on. My media consumption is, I think, quite limited in most standards. I don't really play video games anymore. I don't watch TV. Most of my friends don't do either. And they get, they get most of their information from, 
it kind of in the same way, just like loosely through through their phones throughout the day. There is a tendency among the millennial generation to really get onto the take treadmill and be hooked on their Twitter feed every single moment to get the latest updates. And what you find is that you expend a ton of energy oscillating back and forth between these extremes that are totally uncertain and you just end up on this perpetual treadmill. And I feel like maybe yourself and your friend group and one of the things that I've learned from following you guys and watching how you parse information is that you actually get a much better idea having zoomed way out and uh, (laughs) ignoring a lot of the nonsense that happens. So um, I feel like I saved myself dozens of hours that I was able to put into other projects and learn other things. And a lot of people were just perpetually hooked for months and months about what is the most up-to-date information and how's it going to shape out. And yeah, so, so by zooming out, you just, you can see the broader arc and the broader narrative. But let's get, uh, let me ask you a little bit more about media here. How about anything in the realm of podcasts? I've never really been a a podcast person. I've tried a couple of times, but I usually find that it's pretty preachy. More often than not, with this just like complete surge in the amount of podcasts and the amount of content available, it's just like often just intellectual masturbation completely. (laughs) Um, And it's just not a lot of actual content. I had thought that we were at peak podcast before, but the lockdown and the pandemic seems to have artificially prolonged it to an un- yeah. to an unbelievable extent. Yeah, millennials or my generation in general seem to define themselves through these types of, I guess, what we would now understand as consumer identities through brands or movies or certain types of drugs or whatever. But all of these types of rebellious countercultural identities. And when I watch your content online and I see how you post, there's a real mix of influences in uh, everything. I mean, aesthetics, but clothes and musical styles and everything. I guess I'm curious if you have thoughts on this idea of genre. It seems that you already implicitly understand that these consumer identities are a thing that you try on and discard. So I wonder if there's in the arc of this long tale of media, if there's a self-bankrupting aspect to this proliferation of consumer identities online, that eventually, you know, if you can be a punk and a mod and uh, a scenester and whatever else, um, if those things are so rapidly consumed and discarded, do you eventually just understand yourself as a worker, as someone who's exploited, no matter what consumer identity you put on that week? Hmm. I mean, I have like I have a, a couple of friends who are who are punk. I I mesh with a lot of different people in different in different scenes. But like my friend group and in the influences that we have, there's definitely a, I think a scene going on. So it would be right to say that to some extent, everywhere there is kind of this general domination of of a consumer mindset or of a consumer genre. I'm not sure necessarily to what extent it would be correct to say that because people have a certain tendency towards maybe one consumer genre or another it would be equal in understanding that they're exploited because there's a lot of people who consume a lot a lot of different things and they're not necessarily exploited in any way there's a there's of course this bankruptcy that you're talking about that is is found within capitalism everywhere even Marx says that the capitalist will experience some degree of alienation because you know you're 
put in a position of society that you're um, in which you are not able to be fully fulfilled or, or happy. And, it, and it's reported statistically that people who are wealthy are depressive at, at massive rates. But definitely this bankruptcy and this alienation that people experience is not, it's not something that can be fixed with prescription pills and, and everything that the therapist will prescribe to you or, or whoever. It's something that is, is rooted deeply within the society, which is, which is completely backwards. The period I'm describing where people would get into these implicit politics through music or something like that, all of this is really pre-crisis. This is pre-2008 even. One term that I see thrown around, sometimes I see you post about acid house. Is this a genre of music? It's a, it's a, it's a style of music that was popularized in the late 80s and in early 90s mostly. I can recommend you some songs if you'd like, but it's definitely a genre uh, it's a it's a style. If you've seen the uh, yellow smiley face anywhere, that's where it originated from. Where it's just simply acid, acid house, acid. Yeah. Same thing. If there's one media which I consume on a on a daily basis, it's music. I spend kind of an incredible amount of time just on Spotify. If we rewind back to maybe 2018 or maybe 2019, you were one of the first people from whom I started to hear about the ICC. In our interview the summer before last, you had mentioned a self-administered poll in your Instagram stories asking people if they politically identified as leftcom. In maybe a three-month period between each of these surveys, the breakdowns were something like 2575. 50-50, and 75-25. How much of your online social circle now is involved or interested in the ICC? Does it seem to be collected around, if you had to put a label on it, leftcom? Or are you totally out of the social media space and into the publications and the, the written... Organizational space. Yeah, yeah. What is the name of their review again? International Review. Yeah. I would say that there is a solid group of people that I've known for a while, at least a couple of years, who are involved with, with that. Some more recently, some less recently. I've been kind of in it for about a year and a half or so, coming on two years soon. But yeah, it, it is it is definitely linked with my interaction with other people that I know in like the previous spaces, but we all kind of grew out of it at the same time. It does relate to the communist left. Like, like I said before, there is this continuation, and the communist left sees itself as, as this continuation. I've noticed something, and I'm not yet sure how to formulate it, because I've seen it through your account, maybe through Nick's account, and a few other young people who are now actually involved in political organizing and are not posting silly shitpost memes or whatever, even though I still think those things are hilarious and whatnot. But when I see you post to social media, it's kind of diaristic, I guess. It's just pictures and snapshots from your lives. But they seem to be permeated by these subtle meme references that are implicit in everything. I remember, this is maybe a year ago, it was just a picture of you sitting casually in an armchair, you know, two or three years of just seeing armchair revolutionary and armchair Marxism and pictures of uh, cartoons of Bordiga in an armchair. So I know all of these built-in references, but the post on its own might seem like, you know, any snapshot out of anyone's life of just a person sitting in a chair. If you weren't inside the community, you might not even know it's a meme. I don't, th I don't think there's a single thing I post without thought at least put into it somewhat. 
for me, I find that it programs a way of thinking that it's a, a thought or a song that gets stuck in my head. And I wonder now, maybe you're outside of the game, but do you get these intrusive thoughts? Do you make these implicit references on purpose? <laughs> so if you see, if you see like a, a reference, then it is probably a reference. It's not like at this point, it would be possible for my mind to be able to escape what it has already endured through being on the internet for like four or five years. It's, it's permanently ingrained within my head. There's no getting out of it. Endured is the right word there. Yeah, it's it's extremely brutal. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It just like it. I just it kind of pains me sometimes. It's this you know straw that broke the camel's back. It's just the cumulative consumption of memes over such a long period of time. Yeah, I definitely empathize. How about a few topical questions? I was going to ask if you can vote, but I guess you are uh, seventeen, not eighteen. Yeah. Any predictions? for the final tally leaning Trump or Biden? I have um I have no no say one way or another or I have no leaning one way or another but what I will say is that I think it's an interesting reflection of the political nature in our society right now if the ruling class cannot even decide who is the the head of government in capitalist society. The one thing for sure, though, is that whoever wins, the working class obviously loses. And the second thing is that this, as a whole, has been a victory for, for democracy and a victory for democratism and the ideology of the ruling class in America. Um, because there were a lot of people that, that went to vote. It reflects very poorly on the nature or the, the level of consciousness which is present in the United States. I mean, frankly, if, if that many people can vote for these two people, it, it's, um, it's a little shocking, to say the least. It, it shows me or makes me think that there's a large degree of political backwardsness in America that has, that has not really been discussed or talked about. And this is just America coming to terms with the advanced level of social and economic decomposition, which is festering after many, many, many years. Yeah, I'll tell you uh, for sure, there's people I saw who were posting the last few years, you know, calling for revolution, and then they went out and voted for Joe Biden. So the level of psyops that people are doing to themselves is mm -hmm. unbelievable today. It's really yeah. something. What do you see people saying about the election online? I realize we're only, what, 12 hours out from it or less than that? Right. Definitely a lot of fear-mongering, for sure. You know, the happeners, etc. These... People who are like circle jerk the idea of, oh, there's going to be a civil war tomorrow because of the election and things like that. Or you have leftists who are kind of doing no better saying like, oh, we'll take to the streets if, if Trump is elected when really this is like a, it's a non-class response. It's a, it's, it's a response which is in favor of the ruling class either way, because it's, you're fighting on a, on a terrain which is nowhere related to the proletariat in America. I'm always reminded of this passage from the ICC. One of their objectives is, quote, the regroupment of revolutionaries with the aim of constituting a real-world communist party. Do you have any insight about where those people are being regrouped? Is this something you measure in paper membership? Is it newsletter subscribers? How can we tell what's happening here? Is there, is there some way to quantifiably measure it? I have never personally been interested in the amount of people that are, are subscribed, nor have I actually ever bothered to ask, because in, in my opinion, it's not really important. I think that the 
the overall measure of advancement in the class it w- would be able to be seen by everybody when it happens. Like I'm not I'm not under the illusion right now that there are some big things happening as we speak because because really as far as I can tell, capitalist society is just slowly decomposing at an accelerated rate. But nothing too out of the ordinary necessarily has happened besides the various crises which are eating up people's attention. To me, success would not be newspaper subscription or amount of, of members even. But the idea of this of this regroupment is something which is in line with the idea of continuation again. In order for there to be a successful level of political development, there first needs to be right this this rising consciousness. And once there's a rising consciousness, then there will also be a greater level of, of success maybe in, in something like membership. I've heard from people who are members of organizations for many, many years at this point, they describe it as pickling Marxism. (laughs) It doesn't matter if the organization is a thousand people or a hundred thousand people. The point is that these stories and this, uh, this type of analysis needs to be carried forward. This understanding needs to be carried forward. And the numbers game is, uh, is a, a a different thing from the, from the analysis. Um, my last question here is maybe something you've implied at various points over the interview, but looking forward, where does this political trend line seem to be pointing? Are we moving right or left, and how fast? There should be a separation that, that's made between leftism and, and rightism and all of these other these other things and the and like the project of, of the class. Those are two completely separate things. I think leftism serves the the rhetoric of capitalists in america and everywhere they're leftists everywhere they kind of they do the bidding whether or not they uh, accept it but when your entire basis of your belief system is based on trying to refute all of these you know lies that are made about your hero or about your this historical figure right if the entire basis of your of your ideology is based on just trying to preserve the legacy of of a country which was driven brutally by the necessity of capital accumulation which is support for capitalism then you are in service to nobody else than the ruling class and you know the rightists do the same but just a lot more obvious in a, in a lot more of an obvious way and then and neoliberals do it in their own way mm-hmm. i don't i don't see necessarily that there would be a swing in in the direction of of leftists or of rightists or of conservatives and liberals for me that will always kind of go back and forth but i'm i'm not sure yet if the level of consciousness in america is ready to start rising i'm not sure when that will happen thank you so much for making the time to talk with me it's always really fascinating to catch up with you and i'm i'm always inspired by our chats do you have any closing remarks or shout outs you want to give before we sign off here? <laughs> yes. Follow Ultra Gosh on Instagram. Crew is the best city in the world. And just the only thing of actual importance I have to say is that people should start digging deeper than questions of race and nation and um, all, all of the other isms. People should pay closer attention to the nature of class and society. That's it.